Okay, so hello everyone. Uh, my name is Monica Vivas. I am very honored uh, that you know you have me in your podcast. I actually was chasing after you a little bit because um, you know I love to uh, share my story. I love to let know uh, other people that is walking the same you know path like me of you know fertility. I usually don't like to use the word infertility unless it's necessary, but fertility journey. So, you know, there is uh, a lot of us out there and uh, I want to, you know, give some inspiration, some hope, as well as uh, this was actually my journey was what inspired me to become a coach and to write my book. So I'm going to tell the audience a little bit about my story. Yeah, please. Uh, Yes, of course. I was born in Colombia and uh, I moved here to the States. Uh, Actually, it's going to be 18 years ago in February. Um... I actually was um, never interested in uh, in getting married or have kids because, you know, as I was telling you before, you know, I was in that time worried about the situation of the world, you know, all the wars and this and that. And I was like, why do we need to bring kids to this world that is upside down? And look at that. Now it's more upside down than ever. But at the same time, I think now that, you know, I'm an adult and a mother, I think our kids are the future for, for this world. So... When I got married, I come from a family, especially from my mom's side, very fertile. They were 18 kids, nine boys, nine girls from the same parents. So I have about, yeah, so I have about like 240 something cousins and all of them, you know, they used to get pregnant, like we said in Latin America with the blow of a kiss. And I reached like, uh, when I was 29, I was single. I just broke up with an ex-boyfriend and I remember my aunts telling me, you know, you're going to be 30 and I don't believe that, oh, you are too old. And I was like, I don't want. So then my husband came along. We met in match.com. I was in Colombia. He was here. I didn't even thought that I could come here because I didn't have a visa. But, you know, things happen the way it's supposed to be. I got married with him, came here, and he had a girl from a previous marriage. She's now 19. I love her with all my heart. Like, I love my own kids. And then, you know, that kind of maternal thing started to wake up when she used to come and visit and then leave and, you know, like that emptiness. Yeah. And I say, you know, let me start to work with uh, with my husband and a baby and we start together. And I thought that it's going to happen. Like it happens to all my family, you know, that a few months later I'm going to be pregnant and that's it. But it didn't happen. So we tried for over a year, you know, like a year. And as usual, most couples can do. And, uh, you know, I was telling the doctor that my, I come from a very fertile family and a year is too much for me. And I think that I have something. And he was like, that's what most couples do. Let's wait a little bit. Stress, anxiety, can block, whatever. And we did that. And it didn't happen. So we went back. He put me on Clomid, which is, you know, the pre-step before any fertility treatment. Nothing happened. So then he was like, Definitely, we need to check on both of you because we don't know. It could happen the opposite way too, you know, even the right. second, uh, second fertility on men. So we did all the tests. Everything came normal, you know, everything. The hormones was good, you know, like, and then we went to further test and, you know, do an Eastern salpingogram for my tubes. And they found out that both my tubes were blocked. And, you know, later on due to endometriosis, we try to do laparoscopy asmus. No, you know, medically can help to open either one tube or both tubes. Nothing happens. So our only choice eventually was in vitro fertilization. We didn't know much about it. Um, and the doctor recommended us um, 
RE in a clinic here in New York. He was very good, you know, very smart guy, very affordable too. And we went to him. He was a little crazy, a little disorganized um, because he was basically um, managing his clinic with only two nurses, but he was, he was good. We did our first in vitro with him and it was successful. And, you know, we were surprised because one of the first things they tell you when you go through in vitro is, you know, the first attempt most of the times is not successful. So we prepared for multiple cycles, for two or three cycles, which is what happened. But he's now my 15-year-old, Elia. And then, you know, I was like amazed. I was like, it's so easy, you know? So we didn't know also about that we could froze our embryos. Mm -hmm. Nobody explained us. And, you know, because we didn't know, we also didn't ask. You are so, I was so lost, and me and my husband too, in that sense, that we said, okay, so when we want a sibling, we come two or three years later to him again, and we do it. And we thought it's going to be that easy. So, but that's then when my struggle started, you know, it was mm. a nightmare because we came about two years and a half later with him, do a, a second cycle. But unfortunately, he changed um, um, personal, you know, nurses, and there was this new girl and she switched the charts with another patient. So they gave me the wrong, uh, yeah, those Oh my gosh. And they had to cancel my cycle because my ovaries became like balloon. I got OHSS, I, you know, you know how dangerous is that? Yeah. So it was like the frustration because we were basically kind of in the middle of the cycle. So it was so disappointed. It's a grieving, you know, it's especially because this is so emotional drained. Yeah. You know, my husband and I were super upset. He took responsibility. I, I, I have to give him that. And he said, you know, let's wait that the ovaries come to normal, all this medicine go out of the body. I give you another cycle, no charge, and the medicine up to where you use it, full responsibility. So we waited, which you know how it is. It's frustrating. You know, wait, okay, yeah. he's going to give it that... <laughs> Right. You're so, already waiting so much. And then to have something like that happen where it's like, great, now I have to wait even exactly. more. <laughs> yeah. yes, exactly. It's like, like a boomer. And then, okay, yeah. so we waited. We start a third cycle with him. And uh, this time, you know, we said, you know, let's do PGT testing. He suggested to because in that time I was 37. And um, we wanted, you know, the PG testing gives you all the chromosomical issues and all of that. Plus also gives you if it's boys or girls. So we eventually think in that we retrieve 14 embryos from which five, uh, you know, develop uh, into blastocyst. We didn't have remaining embryos. In that time, they start to explain us about frozen, but we didn't have. And that from that five embryos, there were three very good quality males, two girls. One of the girls had chromosomic issues and the doctor says, you know, like, we don't recommend to transfer that. We always transfer four embryos in my first cycle and here. So here I wanted a boy. So I said, you know, let's froze the girl and put the three boys. So my husband says, no, I want all the four because last time we put four and catch one. We don't know. We put the four embryos and, you know, the girl, the doctor even says she's a little bit behind that embryo. I don't think it's going gonna, it's gonna to attach. Actually, she beat the other three. <laughs> she was the one that got attached. My pregnancy went okay, you know, uh, we did amniocentesis about uh, 24 weeks mm. because of my age too. We reconfirmed it was a girl. Everything was going great, but I developed through, after the 24 week after that amniocentesis, I started to develop some blood clotting problem. We didn't know. So I had my, I lost uh, Isabel at 39 weeks due to a blood mm. clotting umbilical cord. She was a stillbirth baby girl. Oh, I'm so sorry. 
So it was devastating, yeah. you know, it was like, you know, it's, it's, you know, you're gonna go to hospital to have your baby, but you know, it's dead and it's terrible. And then coming back home with your body ready for a baby. I had to wrap my breast, you know, I had, it was, it was terrible. I, I, I don't wish that to anyone, but at the same time, I went, I crossed it over. Doesn't mean I forget. But I, I, you know, like I, and I think so many women, you know, that day I realized that it was not only me because you feel that it's only you that is the one mm. going through that pain. And it's so many women going through stillbirth and miscarriage. And even after the baby born, they go through that, the baby die a few days. It's so devastating. Yeah. So, and men and women, we deal differently. So my husband did differently, I did different, and you misinterpret that things and also affect your relationship. So I was totally in a very disconnected way from my daughter, from my mom, from my husband, because my pain was bigger. And eventually I was drilling my husband that I need to do an in vitro again. I need to do it right now because you want to feel that space is so painful. Yeah. So he was like, you need to wait, you know, mentally you are not good. Emotionally, you are not good. Physically, you are totally drained. Look at your body, you know, like it's, it's yeah. but I, forget it. I just drain him, I drill his brain. We talked to our doctor and uh, I told him honestly that I didn't want to do it with him, not because of him or nothing. It's because I wanted maybe a change. He mm -hmm. gave us another RE in Manhattan. We went to him and he was the same. He was telling me, Monica, I don't think it's a good idea to do it. You mm -hmm. just, you know, emotionally. I drill ball, you know. I, I think that they just said, let's do it. We did a four in vitro. I got pregnant. I got a, a, a positive, but at seven weeks, I miscarriage. It was expecting, you know, like I was so stubborn. So mm -hmm. it's like, I put another pain after this one. And then my marriage almost crumbled. And then we said one day, you know what? We need to stop. We need to think. I have another child. And we need to decide if we want to continue our marriage or not. We give it a try. You know, when, when there is love, you can solve anything. When you love, you know, when their love is, is the main um, root, you solve everything. So we dedicate a year to work on our relationship, dedicate this time to my stepdaughter and our daughter. And then we will decide if, you know, we want another child, which we decide, yes, let's give it a last try. And no matter what happened, yes, beautiful, no, so we stay with what we have. And we did a 15 vitro uh, close to my house, and we transfer also, I know this time we transfer three embryos, and it's now my seven-year-old. And you know what? I feel so strong that it's the same soul of the baby I lost in the stillbirth, mm. different body, but, you know, I can't, I can't. When she born, I can finally heal that pain, you know. Mm -hmm. Again, doesn't mean it's not there. My, my angel is there and they come. No baby replace other. But the energy, the soul is like you feel healed. And this is mm -hmm. what happened to us. And all of this journey inspired me to become a coach, help others because I was alone. You know, this coaching and all of this that we both offer to the community start basically five years ago. There was no nothing yeah. of this when I started. I was so lonely. I feel defective. I feel that something was wrong with me. So today when I'm here and I can help others, is something that I love to do. It comes from my heart because, you know, it comes from it and it's inspired by my own steps on it. So that's mm -hmm. basically my story. 
Sorry if it was too long. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I want to actually like dive in a little bit more. Um, so maybe we can go into like before you even started IVF. Okay. Was it hard to like accept that that was how you were going to have to ex- have children? Like how was that process of just accepting this new path to parenthood? Yes, definitely is super difficult. You have no idea. I when when, when uh, our my gynecologist told me that you know the results that came from the esterosalpingogram were the both tubes blocked. So I'm asking first thing is like, what is that? So he started to tell me, have you ever had uh, like irregular periods? No, never. Uh, were they heavy? Super heavy. So he said that's one of the things. How heavy? So I I even sometimes during my periods, I used to faint and lost consciousness from wow. the pain. Uh-huh. And it's still even now, you know, I am very regular. That was one thing that it was good. But still now, you know, the pain is crazy and they are so heavy that, you know, like sometimes I feel, you know, you feel like you are being a piece. Wow. So, and it's huge. Uh, so he said that causes endometriosis, scar tissue stain the tubes. You, you know, we don't know. I was young, you know, I didn't even think to have them. So to realize in that moment that you can't get pregnant as supposedly it's, you know, it has to be naturally, you know, you go, you have beautiful sex with your husband, enjoy, blah, blah, blah. And then just wait to see if the period comes. It was very difficult. I felt, like I told you, defective. I felt that something was wrong with me. I felt defeated. And the one that really kind of pushed me up and told me, listen, wake up, smell the coffee. It was my husband. He told me, you know, there is really, what if the doctor is going to tell us that you don't have eggs? That is something that you really need to cry. And, and you know, then today I realized there is so many really hardship things in this journey that I was like thinking. And then he said, there is a way still, you know, the only thing that they need to do is whatever, put me and you together in a Petri dish and then they want to put it directly, even better. You know, he started to kind of, but it was very difficult. And mm-hmm. then the other thing that comes with that is you feel, I felt ashamed. You know, it's like, you feel like other people get pregnant. How I'm going to explain my family, this, that I cannot have children. So my first uh, in vitro, I remember I told my husband, if anyone ask that I'm pregnant, I got pregnant naturally. You know, it's like mm-hmm. you want to hide it. Very hard. Today, I am very open to talk about it. I encourage others to do it because there is nothing wrong with that. You realize, you know, your your journey teach you. Yeah. When did you start to be open about what you were going through? Was it after both of your kids were born or was it during the process? Actually, it was in my last IVF in in the in the fifth one. Uh, and I tell you why, because of all the struggle that came after the first one, you know, the cancellation of this one, I start to, you know, like you, one thing comes wrong and then our subconscious by default start to say what's wrong and then you are attracting that and then look the stillbirth terrible you know it was so then the miscarriage again like i didn't want nobody like to know what happened so when i was pregnant from maya my fifth in vitro what i realized and i learned that too is Nothing is granted in life, not even life, you know, <laughs> we know. So I learned 
that yes, most of us women, when we are pregnant and we pass our first three months, you know, that period that is risky, we can feel secure. But in my case, I wasn't, you know, I learned that there is nothing, nothing secure. So when I got pregnant from Maya, it's funny, and I passed my third semester and then when she started to move, I learned so accurate the movements, the count of movements, that I didn't let this poor girl sleep a minute until she born. Because mm. if she will not move at certain time, I will drink her orange juice, I will take a chocolate. And that, that was the only part I couldn't control. But also, I didn't tell no one that I was pregnant except my husband, my two children here, and my mom that live with us. Mm. And it was funny because if I used to take my daughter to school or something, you know, there were friends, you know, from yeah. the community. Are you pregnant? And you know what I will tell them? No, I'm fat. From that fear, because there is no, you know, until I have my baby, then I'm going to tell you, know, yes, I was. Yeah. And I learned that. So when she born is when I said to myself, let me see. Many women go through miscarriage. Many women go through a stillbirth. We need to speak up because we eat that, you know, we pile up that feelings. And then we go into a closet and we cry and cry and cry, but we need sometimes someone that just listen to us or hug us, you know, you need other people. That's why today with all of this that is happening, it's creating mental health issues because we need each other, you know, we are, yeah. we are social beings. So I will cry and cry and cry by myself, but then why I'm not gonna tell my mom that I feel sad? Why I'm not gonna tell my husband, you know what? I need a hug. I don't need words. I need just a hug. Mm -hmm. So after she born is when I really kind of say, we need to talk. We need to help others and tell them, you know, if you feel sad, you can express it. If you want to curse, you can curse. Yeah. Take it out because by not, by piling it up is what is, you know, it's like eating you. It's like something rotten that eats you. So when yeah. you take it out, you open a space for, for, you know, for something new to come and you help yourself through the process. Mm -hmm. So maybe looking back, because when, um, when you were talking about after your, your loss, um, that you were just like, okay, I want to go back into that next one. And you were just like, go, go, go. Is there something that you would have done differently to process that, to process losing your baby? Maybe uh, like yes. now knowing, looking back at, at your previous self. Yes, I would definitely um, would have looked for some kind of therapy, you know, uh, like I just told you, help of someone that, could kind of help me from an objective point of view, from the outside, different approaches, different uh, exits, because what I was doing with what you just mentioned was trying to replace that loss with another one, and nothing can replace that, you know? So, right. but at the same time, you know, even though I, I didn't do that therapy, because there is something that I, I am also honest about it. Um, I don't like therapies in general, you know why? Because they cut you off. You know, you go to the psychiatric, you go to the psychologist, and they treat you like a number. And, and I'm not saying they're bad, that's their job, you know, it's clinical. Um, and therapies should be something like, for example, I have clients, right, that I go through and I, and I could tell, okay, my coaching include this, one hour of this, but I never, ever, even if it goes a little bit over the hour, or even if it goes more, I never cut them. I, I don't like that because then you are in a moment that you really are 
expecting a feedback and then, okay, my next is, mm. so that was one of the things that stopped me, but I would have looked for what we offer today mm. now, because I, mm-hmm. you know, someone that went through and is helping, then I will, because I know that that person, that individual will not cut me off and will help me to see other exits like I'm seeing them now. I will yeah. today tell someone that goes through, through a loss or through an, uh, a stillbirth that wants to jump and replace that. I will do my best to help them find the answer that that's not the way, that you need to heal first. You know, you need to emotionally be valid, heal, grieve. We need to grieve that loss because mm. I didn't mm. even grieve it. You know, I just was putting it on the side. I don't want to see it. I was in denial. And let me see if I can uh, fill it up with the other baby. Yeah. That would have, I, I would have done differently. Yeah, I definitely agree with talking to somebody who maybe has gone through it. I think that that's so valuable. Um, I I, I heard, I can't think of what it's called now, but there's a, a company that has like mentors, I think is what they call it, where it's someone who's gone through um, infertility treatments or gone through this process and they kind of mentor people who are, are in it. I can't think of what it is, but things like that I think are so valuable. Yes. yes yeah. Yes. Which is why I wanted to have people on to tell their story because it helped me during the beginning of this process, just hearing like okay, I'm not the only one who's gone through yes. this. What I'm feeling is normal. Um, sometimes it can feel like, am I overreacting? Should I not be feeling this way? And so to hear people, I think I totally agree that that. You should be feeling what, that's one thing I tell everyone going through this journey or through any other difficult time. You should be feeling, never, you know, like we always tend to ask, should I be feeling this? Should I be? No, no. Because what you are feeling is authentic. And if you feel that you want to cry until your last year is, you do it. If you are feeling that you want to scream, find a place and do it. Because that's what you're feeling. It's, it's authentic and it's the way to clean yourself in the sense of let go. Let go is not say, oh, you know what? I'm thinking now that this is not going to work. Let me just fill up. Yes, yes, it's going to work. It's going to work. But then in your back of your head, in the subconscious, it's still that thought, it's not going to work. So what you need to do is be aware, you know? Okay, I am aware. In vitro is not easy. Even trying to conceive by itself is not easy. Yeah. So let's be aware that this is not easy. I'm going to have help. But I'm going to also try to look for heaven because we cannot drown, you know, like there is, there is no way that we can drown. My husband teach me some, taught me something. He, he actually learned it from Dr. Bruce Lipton. I don't know if you ever heard about Dr. Bruce mm-hmm. Lipton. He talks about epigenetics. I interviewed him for one of my uh, summits. Uh, pain, you know, pain in general, it's, it's a fact. We, we feel pain. We feel pain when we physically can hurt with a cut. We feel emotional pain when we lose someone we love, when we lose a child, when we lose our mother. Each pain is different, you know. However, the fact that we feel pain, we need to be aware and, and allow it to feel it, you know. But suffering from that pain is a choice. And it's very clear. We see it today. It's is, is black or white. How is a choice? Uh, because some of us, a lot of us, come out to light again, right? We, we overcome the pain. We know it's there. We feel it. We remember. 
but we need to move on. And what is the other choice? Not living anymore. And I'm going to be very honest with you because that's something that also a lot of moms and a lot of women going through this. When I lost my baby, when I had the stillbirth, I thought about taking my own life. I, is they, I'm not going to, because you see, that's also something that we need to be open to talk about. I yeah. thought about it because the emotional pain was terrible. So my only way to think, that, how is the way to, to don't feel this? Because it's, it's much more difficult than any cut is that. It's, there's been, so imagine a parent that lose a kid that is bigger, you know, like the so I will never um, judge or criticize anyone that, God forbid, choose that way. However, I will be one of a speakers to, to, uh, to try to avoid someone to take that, that to, to choose that, because yeah. there is no other way. But I tell you, I, I felt that I wanted to do it. And the thing is that I'm very scared from physical pain. So the, the more I think, I couldn't find a way. So I, I guess that was God, you know? But let's be open. We can feel that. Hmm. So during that time, you also talked about like you and your husband's relationship and how that was affected. Because that's mm-hmm. the thing. This affects, it's like, it like radiates out to all different parts of your life. It, it's everywhere. You can't, there's not a part of your life it doesn't affect. And so I like to ask people how their relationship has changed. Maybe, I mean, some ways I think like my marriage has definitely gotten stronger, but then there's ways that it's gotten harder. So maybe you can just talk a little bit more about how that did affect it um, and how you guys overcame that. Yes, absolutely. You are right. A a fertility journey can affect either positive or either negative our relationship with our partner. Unless is, for example, a woman that you find today a lot decide to go uh, solo mom. You know, they go through don- sperm donor and then that's it. You know, I don't want a relationship with no one. I just want to be a single mom and that's my happiness. But most of us that are in a relationship affects a lot. I have been seeing cases, like you said, that it strengthens very much the relationship. It's, it's really like a fireproof of, you know what, let's, let's really follow here the contract that we did in our church, in our shul, whatever, of good and bad. So, and it's stranded. In the beginning, it, it, it makes our relationship very strong. Um, but when we lost the baby, that was a very difficult time. And I explain you why, because grieving, uh, women, we grieve different. We are more emotional. We need to cry, we like to talk, we like to feel, you know, hug and, and, you know, and protected. And our way to grieve is that, crying, expressing, you know, feeling that warmth. Men in general, I'm not saying all of them, but men in general is more rational. Uh, for some reason, I have uh, found out that men feel very... I don't know if it's something to do with the machoistic thing that they have because they are men and they don't supposed to cry. They need to show mm. strength. They don't cry. So they focus more on other stuff. So my husband did that. It was like, yes, he cried the day that it happened in the hospital, but he was so scared also to, to, to maybe show that 
that part sensitive that when you know when, for example when they br brought the baby to us i wanted to see her i saw my baby they asked me do you want to see her i'm like of course so the nurse told me i ask you because some mothers don't want to see the baby i want to see it so and i start to unwrap it and make sure that she had complete five fingers and he was like please don't I'm like why just that moment start to create some strain between us mm. i felt i'm like why and my way was crying, you know, and sometimes I, I, I will try to think or read something else to try, you know, to put my, my thoughts in another place because I have another child somehow connected. And his way was going to work and he mm. didn't cry. So I was like judging him. I was like, this guy didn't care. He yeah. don't feel pain. We just lost a baby and the guy is just going work like nothing happening. Mm. And that created a lot of things between us. And from there, kind of went down because I told him, you know, like you are insensitive, you are a piece of ice, you are a stone. And I start to generalize and all men is like that. And, and it creates like, I hate men, you know, how is that mm. happening? Is the father. Yeah. And then I discovered when we start to kind of decide to work out this, because trust me, we went even to lawyers. We were, I have a lawyer, he has a lawyer. We were like into divorcing, can't deal with this that he was going through hell. He, he didn't want to show me because he thought that if he showed me that he's crying, I'm going, he's going to push me more down. And then he will go to a friend and drink his butt off and, and cry to him. And I was like, you're not supposed to cry to him. You're supposed to cry with me. You mm -hmm. know, like, so it's really different things. And that can definitely... Uh, break up a marriage. There's a lot. I, I also know parents that have gone through stillbirth and they broke up because they couldn't handle it. The pain is different. And in our case, we came to a point that to say, let's see, let's talk. And we learn to communicate. So one of the things that you asked me is how we strengthen that, how we handle it. We uh, talk about we need to stop to point at each other, like, you know, it's your fault. I need to look within myself and, and, and look what I am doing that can trigger you, and then you do the same towards. Don't get me wrong, there is no perfection. I still have my, you know, my arguments and this, but we always try to, to, to look at that. So what I did or what I said, maybe that triggered you what he did the way you know because i can say i love you but i can say it very bitchy you know mm -hmm. sarcastic and it's good to just to hurt you know right is is the way is not the way or the words that you say is how you say it because you can say you know what i'm hurt you are an asshole or he can come tell you are a you know a bitch and i'm sorry i'm very open with my words but you yeah. can say it in a nice way listen you heard me baby i'm sorry you i think that you've been an ass that day or whatever uh, and, and, and I think that what happened is the way you say this triggered me. So that trigger caused an anger on me and I overreact with you. Trust me, communication is very difficult, but it's something that we need to have in this journey. Otherwise, mm -hmm. it's, it's going to definitely affect your relationship. And if you have kids, let's see, you know, I have kids also. Because they see daddy and mommy in that situation and they're going to feel... Did I do something? It's, it's, gonna, it's, it's a chain, like you say. It's, it's something that acts like an atomic bomb. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that because, it, I mean, it's not always comfortable to kind of share those kind of um, 
moments, but I think it's so valuable to hear because when you were talking about like he wasn't grieving the same way you were. So you took that in a different way. I've had those same conversations with my husband. Like, like I'm so affected by this, but you're not. And he's like, yes, I am, but I'm just trying to be strong for you. And so it's just like misinterpreting like kind of what they're feeling where if you were to talk about it, then you learn, okay, just the way that you're dealing with it is different than my way. And that's okay. But now I know instead of assuming something. Yes. And we have, you know, we can tell them because you know what, definitely. Oh, I want to be strong for you. So I I remember that I told him, well, for you, if you want to know how you should be strong for me was like not going and cry with your friends because then you left me alone. You, you, you're strong for me is that you sit and we hug each other and we cry together. Uh, You're not dragging me because we are feeling exactly the same. So yeah. You can tell your husband, listen, okay, I understand that the way you think is this, but by you doing that, you are not being strong for me. It's the opposite. Now, you can also tell me what I'm doing that is affecting you for you to react that way. So what, you know, and you start to kind of mold it. It's like Play-Doh, you know, you need to, because this this is two people, you know, I have, actually um a girl she had a boyfriend and they were trying to do in vitro she was you know i think it was a few years ago she was like about 27 something was wrong with her egg count you know egg reserve mm-hmm. and they were trying she didn't know with the egg reserve they were four years together and uh when they found out that she has no egg reserve and they need to go through a sperm donor right away he left her mm-hmm. imagine that like zero oh if it's not yours if he's, you know, I'm sorry, not a sperm donor, egg donor, egg because donor. he was hurt. I know if he's not yours, not so. For that reason, I'm going to go and buy one that is good. Imagine how she felt, like an object. Yeah. Like, oh, so, so all is communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's not easy. It's not easy, but, you know, when you are in a partnership that you have uh, work, and like you say, your, your, in your case, had a strength in it. So it is beautiful because then, you know, you can express better. Right, right. Yeah. Do you still notice like the trauma of going through all this even today with your, Sometimes. With your kids? Yes, I tell you how. Absolutely. Yes. And this is an amazing point you touch. Um, for example, when my little one gets sick for a simple cold, like a simplest call, this girl start. she's so active. She's a hyper, this girl drives me nuts. And I'd rather have her driving me nuts. So when she gets a little call, you know, fever, how put the kids? I, I can tell you is right away, it's like a flashback. It's like mm-hmm. that fear haunt me right away. I need reassurance. So I ask right away my husband, she's gonna be okay, right? And he's like, you know, so I know that sometimes he gets annoyed, but I think that, that that when he gets annoyed, he kind of realized it's a PTSD. It is yes. PTSD. It is for sure. You are right. So I try my best to work. It's not going to go. It's never going to go. I know yeah. that. It's there, every especially when, even when my big one is sick, she got the flu two years on a row. And last year, uh, 2019, she lost 10 pounds from this flu. I was panicked. You have no idea. 
all that I was just thinking about Isabel. I'm like thinking to myself, I will not be able to, to, to deal with something like this again. And you know, all my coaching things and all, and I try to help my, and I'm like realizing it's not going to work. You know, like that fear is a haunting thing, but at the same time, I am aware that it's there, that it comes. And the only way for me to kind of calm down is have that assurance. So I always need my husband to let me know. And I will ask him, and I tell him, listen, remember something. When our kids get sick, I'm going to be the pain in the butt that is going to ask you, is everything going to be okay? And Because that's what I need. Oh, my mom. Mom is going to, you need that. Yeah. So absolutely. It's flashbacks all the time. Well, not all the time. When that kind of things happen, you know. Mm-hmm. Or when I am in the, you know, working or something and they call me from school. They know me already. They know. Because they went through it with us, you know. This, Miss Vivas, don't worry. Nothing happened. It's the first thing. Don't worry. Yes. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, I get fine. Miss Vivas, don't worry. Nothing happened. You're just calling because oh, my mind is not feeling well. You say the stomach hurts. So maybe you want to go and pick it up. Or we just call it like, you know, yesterday I forgot to um, fill online the COVID-19 form because she's going full-time for, to school now. Mm. And they called me, Miss Vivas, nothing happened. It's just that you didn't fill <laughs> the COVID-19 form. Oh, thank you so much. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. How, um, so when did you become a coach or when did you kind of transition into that role? Yeah. So, you know, after my little one born, you know, like two, three months later, um, I, I, you know, I, des- I decided to be a stay-at-home mom in 2007. I worked since I came here until 2007. I was working with my husband and it was not working well. You know, as a, you know for some people work, for some not. So, uh, you know, he said, you know, you want to stay with, with Leah? And then I say yes. But, you know, to stay, a stay-at-home mom is a very, very hard work. It's 24-7. So I wanted to do something, you know, like to distract my mind too, but at the same time from home. So I tried, you know, network marketing, everyone here, there. And then my husband was going crazy and he said, why you don't think about something? And I study, you know, I study in Colombian business and finance. I have a degree and that's what I was working when I was here. He said, why you don't look for something that you like, that you can fall in love with? And I'm not telling you your career because I know that you don't want to go back to office work, but you need to, to look for something because this is too much all over the place. You are changing things all the time and it's, it's not nice. It's, it, and it's also creating a lot of stress on you. So, you know, I kind of give it a thought. And then one day I said to myself, why not doing this? Why? Um, you know, I went through hell. How many women are going, and, and like I tell you, was that was three years ago, and this thing started like five years ago, so it was really new. I started to look, and I was surprised to find how many women they were really looking for that. Mm. I'm like, this is, this is mine, and I start with all my heart, fall in love with it, and from there, now I stress out because it's so many to do, and I, but I love it, you know, <laughs> at the same time, I love it. So yeah. that's how I started. And I start, you know, like to organize my papers from all my cycles and said, this is crazy. You know, all papers, little numbers here and there. Let's create a book where people can be more organized. And that's how my book also came up. And I am now ready almost in November. Hopefully I'm going to launch a fertility coloring book from my series of four coloring books too. Oh, awesome. Yes, yes. I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Maybe can you talk a little bit about, um, about your book? Yes, of course. So my book uh, names is uh, the IVF Planner. 
Um, and what it is, is basically um, like a journal, you know, like in where we women that are going through IVF have everything there done for us to just record it. So uh, our medical records, there is, first of all, of course, I tell my story because, you know, that's what made me wrote the book. There is a brief explanation about what is in vitro fertilization, what you can do, uh, how, for example, you can um, do frozen cycles, uh, how, depends on how many eggs you get out and how many embryos you have, you can uh, froze embryos and then avoid a lot of much, much more cost of money and all of that. There is a chapter for the two-week wait, which I combine with mindset. It has 14 mandalas to coloring because coloring was a big help for me during that two-week wait. But that is the crucial time in, you know, like of this process. Mm -hmm. uh, it has explanation for taxes, for, you know, uh, how to find out if your insurance cover, if it does cover how many cycles, all here, of course, in the States. But also, you know, there is a little guide on uh, some websites if you are outside the States, like in UK, Australia, where you can find some guidance about that. It has a glossary chapter because, you know, I, in vitro and fertility has so many, you know, yeah. little BFN, BFP, you know, mm -hmm. PCOS, uh, you know, HSG, and, and all of that is in detail there. Um, it has also a chapter for what, what you, you can do, how you can direct yourself if there is a negative test, if there is a positive test for multiple cycles. Um, I wanted, you know, I was trying to do it like in a binder uh, format because you can add if you have multiple cycles, but it's really difficult with the editorials, even with Amazon uh, self-publishing. So what I suggest to people when they go to multiple cycles is like, I love you. I have people, you know, I love your book. It's incredible, but it has not much space for. So take copies of the pages and then you have an extra binder attached to it. And um, basically is, is that, you know, it's an inspiration of that. And the chapter of the mandalas, the two week wait is what inspired me for, for, you know, to create the coloring series book because in vitro itself from the beginning to the end, even to the end, to the end, I call it end when you have a baby in your hands, alive. That, that's the whole thing. It's not yeah. only the in vitro of three months and you do this, and because yeah. after you're positive, trust me, the stress is even worse because you are like, what if I am bleeding, you know? So I always said to people, in in vitro and even in regular pregnancy, you can bleed because it's, it, that can be the attachment of the embryo to the uterus, to the lining. Could be the period, but it could be the other way. You see, my last baby, Maya, was a twin, and I start to bleed like crazy, and I thought I lost it. Mm. And then when we went and we saw in the sonogram, there was one heartbeat, and the other baby was kind of pulling down. Mm. So I always, you know, like try to to give all the guidance on that, and it's basically in the book. It's a little guide, but it's a little treasure guide. And I always tell people, basically, you are writing your story here. One day you're gonna have a few babies. Look, this is you. Yeah. All this hard work I did for you. you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yes. I love that. Where can people buy it? Okay, so uh, it's definitely in Amazon as the IBF planner. Okay. Uh, it was published by Balboa Press, so it's also in Balboa Press and Barnes and Nobles. And in my website, okay. uh, www.monicavivas.com. Yes. Cool. Okay, I'll put all that stuff in the like description so people can find it. 
Perfect. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Anything else that you want to add? Yes. Well, one thing I want to uh, let your audience, our audience, our beautiful community know that there is nothing wrong with us. Uh, you know, we are all together walking this journey as, as a community, as a tribe, but always remember that your case, my case are unique. So we are here to support each other. Always try to find support. Today, as I was mentioning in the beginning, we have so many, uh, you know, people helping each other. You with your podcast, with your own journey, me with my journey with the book. And there is so many that have different approach that you can really find that support without having the thinking, you know, like, oh, it's the next patient, go. And you're in the middle of something. Trust me. Look for that support. Feel beautiful. You are perfect. There is nothing wrong with us. And I always tell people, it's just that God decided, God or whomever you believe in, you know, I'm not um, decided to just choose a certain group of women and men <laughs> to, you know, give this supposedly hard, hardship. But it's the closest that we can see the miracle of life. You know, when I was seeing the embryo going through it, I'm like, yeah. I cannot. You know, it's like when you have sex, you don't even think about it. Yeah, it's just happening. But then you are there yeah. with open legs and they're putting it in your head. That's so, so true. It is. So try to see the little lights, the brights of this, because you know what? It's worth it. 